Hello, and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is a podcast where we speak to intriguing and fascinating characters from across the comedy world that inspire comedians like you and me to live this comedy journey on our own terms. Now, today's guest, Wowzer, he is a remarkable man. His name is Tiernan. Tiernan Duyeb. I mean, he runs a comedy club that is just for kids and it's a very he has very many fascinating stories he's going to many of the best comics in the uk and i think you're going to absolutely love him please welcome tnn duyeb amazing he pronounced that perfectly thank you very much that's brilliant uh, i i i'm it's it's a common thing you know i always get scared sometimes of saying the wrong thing i always hear comics in the podcast they go oh thank you at least you didn't have some silly things like i've had in this place or that place yeah it's, it does mean a lot i think sometimes you do gigs and the person can't even be bothered to check how to say your name and you go i'm not sure you're going to host this properly i'm not sure you care how this goes if, if somebody sort of checks in with you you know it's like that old um do you ever hear that old thing about like uh uh, which rock band is it now but they're always like they put the bottom of their rider like a bowl of brown m&ms and everyone's like oh that's because they're so di- what divas but no it's because they want you to just make sure you've read the whole rider and they're like we bring brown, brown m&ms we know you care about everything else as well so I've, i feel like little things like that just making sure that you pronounce people's names right all these i host quite a lot and it just you want to make sure people feel comfortable and they're at least brought on stage right you know you got to do your job haven't you it, hosting's a, it's it's a very why is it they always say with hosting that it's the mate you know there's some comics can't host and they can still be great but they say that often if you're a great host you're likely to be a great comic what do you think is put, put, makes that saying people say that that's interesting that i i think yeah i, I mean there, there's a weird thing where a lot of audience members uh and, and a lot of compares will have this where their audience members come up to them after a gig and go oh i, I loved you're such a great host do you do the comedy as well and it's like yeah no that was comedy what you saw was comedy i just did it in between the acts and i had to host them <laughs> but you know i think it's but you need a, a lot of skills that you use for hosting and comparing you need to be a good comedian as well you know you need to be incredibly comfortable with the audience you need to be well, mostly friendly, I think, nowadays. There was a time where you got some quite aggressive compares, but everyone's learned now audience are a bit more um, reticent to kind of join in if they're a bit terrified of you. So you get a lot more friendly compares now. But, you know, you've got to be relaxed with bouncing off people. So, uh, and, and you've also got a material in the back of your head just in case the audience aren't going for anything you're doing. You know, your, your main job is to make them warmed up for the acts. And if they're not, then you haven't done your job. And so you've got to have all the skills at your disposal to get to get there. So, yeah, and I always think it's one of the most important jobs of the, of the gig, really. If you've got a bad host, that gig never goes as well. But one of the things that I heard from one of the guests recently is they tend to do, I mean, everyone's different with emceeing, but one of the things that I find a bit of a struggle is like when you're trying to engage with people, sometimes it can go really well when you're just having a chat with them and get some really funny stuff. But I mean, other times it's just boom, paint dry. <laughs> what do you think is the, what is a little bit of advice for mining funny bits in chats of audience? <laughs> well, I think there's, uh, I think there's a few things. One is that you've got to know when to just leave it and move to someone else, right? Because I think you can get away with a little bit more as the host. If you talk to someone and they're just dead. I mean, I've I've got like lines in my head that I say if someone's just really like not doing anything and then I just move on. But it's it's important to know, just drop this, there's someone else, right? But also 
there's other questions you can ask, right? Like people were fascinated. If they're not talking to you about one aspect of their life, ask them about another aspect, ask them what they think about something, ask them how their day was, ask them what they, you know, what they've been up to, what they're excited about, what they think about something on the news. There's always, I mean, I always sort of think that you've got, um, the kind of remit as the host you, you don't have to do gag 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 because you're hosting you can ask a few questions in a row without delivering gold if, if you know you're going to get somewhere with it but you've got to be confident that you're going to be able to get somewhere with it so i think it's uh i don't know I, I i there are times when i'll ask people three or four questions and then i'll get to a really good gag to bounce off but i have to get i have to work there i ask them about their life ask them about a detail you know details are good if they do a job that sounds really boring ask them what it is that job involves where it is they work what you know some details about it and you'll find some humor in there so it's yeah you've, you've got to be really confident in your ability to just keep picking at things till you, till you get somewhere with it one thing that I did try and look into when I was emceeing is I'll look for funny questions to ask and here are some of the things that I would ask I'll say if animals could talk which would be the rudest is cereal soup how many chickens would it take to kill an elephant would you ask any tough questions like that? That's brilliant. I love that. Uh, no, I wouldn't. And I should. I really should. Those are brilliantly. Those are just excellent questions. Those are definitely more um, more interesting. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, that's the thing you can get away with. I mean, I one of the best bits of comparing I ever saw. Right. And I still I still think about this is um, there's a, a comic called Mark Olver, who's basically the best compare ever. Uh, Mark Olver is a Bristolian comedian who now does all the warm up for all the TV shows. And uh, yes. Hands down, like one of the best. But I remember it was um, it was like the Glee Club. I think it was Oxford. And they play this big banging burber music before you come on stage. And he was the host. And he walked, there was big music, bear and all the lights. And he walked on stage and just very quietly said to a couple in the front row, I said, what were, what were you two just talking about then? And that was his opening line, right? His opening line was, what are you two just talking about then, right? Which isn't funny, but the whole room just, instead of going big gig, they went, oh, what's, what's that? And then he just talked to them about what their conversation was and then brought out jokes based on it. But the whole room became really small and really intimate. And it was like sort of several hundred people, but they all suddenly went, Oh, what were they talking about? Really curious. And it's it's sometimes like that is like the best thing you can do is just make the room like a, a unit. You know what I mean? Make the room a unit and together. And uh, and it, it's that's a really simple question. You just ask yourself what they were chatting about before the gig started. But then they, you know, if they're willing to talk to you about it, then you've got something to go on. Then you can go to other people in the room and ask them what they think about it. And suddenly you've opened it up and made like a group of people have a kind of connection. And that's that's amazing to me. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, you, yeah, I've seen him. Uh, what's it called? In the yeah, he he says. I think in an article he says that he mostly doesn't. He mostly just do warm up work because it pays so much better than the clubs. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, and he's but he's also very good at. It. He can really make a whole room. Uh, I mean, he can just warm any room up. And TV audiences can be really tough because they don't really know what they're expecting. They often have to sit there for hours and hours and hours if it's a sitcom recorder, so it can go on for ages. And um. You've got to have uh, a lot of energy and constant, I think, patience and, and an ability to kind of keep picking people up, even when they've just watched the same take how many times. And he's I mean, he's remarkable at it. So no wonder he does it all the time. Yeah, it does pay really well, too. So that's handy. Oh, definitely. It's 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 I hear. It's, yeah, it's it's interesting in it sometimes like in America. Some of the comics who I've had on a podcast say they complain about, oh, you're selling out just doing clean jokes and it's a bit hacky or whatever. But they're doing cruise ships and college circuits would pay like a couple of thousand, which is more than three times that they would get paid in clubs. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's also like, is it selling out doing comedy if you're a comedian? Like, it doesn't matter what the comedy. If you're a comedian, you're doing comedy. That's not selling out. Like, it's it's up to you what you want to be doing with your comedy. I always sort of think, I always get really annoyed with that where people are like you should be, I know, saying the unsayable. Or you should be like, why don't you just do what makes you laugh? Because you're a comedian, and why don't you do if it makes the audience laugh? Like, there there was a while where there was a a, a website that I won't name that was criticizing. This is back in the day when there were jonglers clubs, and they were all the really sort of like weekendy stag and Hindus. And this website, a very well known British comedy review site. Com- like reviewed these acts doing jugglers would complain about oh they did another uh you know dick joke did another joke about this whatever it's so hack and it's like yeah but uh, it's working right they're doing what they're doing to survive to, to earn their money and they're, they're entertaining this audience it might not be the jokes you like but it, this audience is lapping it up it's still our job you know there's lots of different types of comedian we don't all have to do one thing there's lots of different types of club and audience you got to do what works you know i sort of think people get really snobby about it and following on from that question, I want to ask you the golden question of what makes you laugh? <laughs> oh, man. Um, like so, so many things. I, I laugh a lot. Um, and I've got a really I'm, I'm really I really love like I think like the humor that I'm I wish I could be better at. But I love really surreal a bit like that list of that list of questions. That you had. I love really surreal, weird humor just properly cracks me up. It's why I love a lot of like kids cartoons like adventure time which isn't even like i think sometimes it's better for adults but stuff like that has me in hysterics um and uh what was that netflix series um i think you should leave that it's just like i think it's one of the greatest things i've ever seen and it, I, I love really silly really mad awkward comedy but i laugh at loads of loads of stuff and i mean um my daughter's it's a, what a terrible cliche isn't it but my daughter's nearly four and so she makes me laugh on a daily basis by just saying completely random weird stuff um i you know i i just think there's i, I like to be surprised i think I, i've become quite bad at being a comedy audience member and i think that's because i quite regularly now watch other stand-ups and in my head i'm just thinking there's a follow-up to that joke or you could add a bit there or that's not quite the punchline I'd have gone for. And I'm really, and I I don't necessarily want to be doing that, but I find that my brain does it like I can't help it. And so when somebody makes me laugh, it's like such a lovely surprise and I'll properly laugh a lot. And and it's generally stuff that I couldn't see come in or, you know, or or catch me out. And I think, Ah. yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I go for. Comedy that surprises you. Yeah, I think I myself sometimes when you watch so many comic that comedy that's rule of three or pullback reveal and it often follows a predictable trope, you get very bored of that. And that's I, I myself I like the weirder acts or acts doing completely mad things. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's it's just it was just providing a punchline even that you didn't uh you just didn't see coming. I think it doesn't I my as I said, my favourite is like surreal, but actually I think sometimes if there's a gag that just hits like the punchline that I wasn't expecting if it's a dark gag or whatever but I'm like sometimes that'll just catch me off because I'm like I can't see how your brain got there and I love it I love that you jumped to that conclusion you saw this situation in a way that I can't get to and I that's that's exactly what I do I do a proper creative silliness you know and is that the sort of thing that sort of made you go into comedy did you when you were younger like look at something that was surreal or absurd like Milton Jones and you're like yeah, I'm going to get up and do it, fam. Is that? 
yeah the, the comedians i love when i was younger this will show exactly how old i am which ancient but like i was really like big into eddie izzard and harry hill and alan davis i was that sort of era of um and bill bailey actually i said alan davis i used to like his comedy but it was more sort of it was more bill bailey eddie izzard harry hill these really silly comedians it was predominantly only male comics like doing tv at the time but it was that sort of like kind of surreal humor that would just kind of go off on one and be really silly songs or like harry hill's callbacks are just incredible um from sort of like the night mid 90s on was amazing and um it was that sort of stuff that made me really love comedy but uh i don't know if i ever wanted to do it until i like i i, I had a really i've got a really boring origin story i think in that like loads of people have got really cool reasons how they ended up in a club doing comedy but i I did drama at university because I just knew I wanted to be on stage and I liked performing. And there was a course in our university degree that was doing stand up. And I thought, oh, well, I'll give it a go because it's only one day a week and I don't have to do a lot of work. And then had no idea that you have to do loads of work. I just didn't realize how much work there was in it. Um, but I did, I did my first gig to like an audience, like in one of the student bars. And I just, it, it was just the best thing. It was just the best experience. I was absolutely, I was completely sick pale white feeling sick before I went on and I went on and got a few laughs and went I think that's the best thing that's ever happened to like this is just the greatest thing and it immediately became hooked and never really looked back and that's uh yeah so but I just I didn't know I could I didn't necessarily think I could do it I think learning to write comedy has been harder for me than the performing bit over time I think I've had to really learn how you how you structure a set and all that sort of stuff I spoke to what's it called Amanda Baker who's like a well-known comedy director and it was an oh, yeah. Asian's, um, the Asian Christmas dinner, which was quite a few years back. And basically all comedians that look at me, we had a Christmas thing. And um, she said that comedians are either they're writers or they're performers. Uh, and a lot of people say there's a rare instance where they're both. But I think most mm. of us are either one or the other, aren't we? I think definitely to begin with, I think you can learn to be the other one sometimes not always but sometimes like definitely people who start off as great writers can learn to be more comfortable on stage and learn to be better performers and i think if you're a brilliant performer you can learn to be a writer like you can absolutely get there because i'd now class myself as more of a writer than a i think i've gone the other way i really love writing the writing bit is what totally excites me now more than the performing and but i i think that you just you you train yourself i mean what's interesting is there are i think a lot of uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a really general statement. It's probably not true at all. But I, I I sort of know of a lot of people who started off as performers, but then would write. They had because they were confident on stage, they could almost write on stage. They almost had their kind of ability to be bouncing off the audience and being so in the moment that they'd kind of start a lot of their jokes on the stage in the moment. Whereas sort of people that wrote would have to kind of write in advance and then build up the courage to perform it. And I think sometimes that's might be the harder way round if you're not used to you're not natural performing but hey I, I think you can learn to be you know th there's very few people that i think are natural comedians immediately and they're all lucky bastards and i'm jealous but i think most other people learn to become a brilliant comedian like i think you, you want to be a comedian but you don't become a brilliant comedian until you've really worked your ass off at doing the things you know do, doing whichever aspects of it you're not as good at and uh, it reminds me a bit of like a football match in terms of like because of all the pressure and all the stress and all the things coming at you when you get up on stage that's why you need the material and you need not necessarily the material but that's that's why it's not as easy as it looks because of the pressure and all these other things that go into when you go on stage and people say oh you're funny with your friends or you can be a comedian it's yeah it's easy because you're in a comfortable environment that supports it 
But when you're in a, in an environment which doesn't always support and there's tons of pressure, you have to be funny. You can't just be like that. There's a lot more involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. Also, there's all the variables of doing it. You know, a, a bit like if you're, if you're funny with your friends, your friends know your sense of humour. They know all your in-jokes. They know everything you refer to. They've probably seen a lot of the same shows or, you know, know that they don't like the shows. Whatever it is, whatever you're referring to, they're in the moment. You're talking to a bunch of people who don't know you and they might immediately dislike you. They might immediately love you, but they might have completely different, um, you know, reference points. They might have completely different lives and you've got to somehow connect with them and make them laugh. And and the room might be, I know, not lit properly. The room might be too noisy. There might be somebody smashes a whole load of glasses. There's all these different things that can come into it. And so you're always like, you know, I, I sort of think you always have to be alert, like, you know, and 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 thinking about all of those things where you, I was sort of like, because football is a really good analogy, I think, because every match would be different. Every, you're coming up against different teams all the time. I also always think of it as like, my, my, I, I failed my driving test so many times, but I was thinking about a driving test where you've always got to be looking over there, looking in that mirror, looking in that mirror, looking in that mirror, you know, just like a hundred things at once. But then it becomes, you know, like anything, the more you do it, the less you think about all the boring bits, lots of it become instinct. And, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely know there was a point probably way too many years in, I, I, again, lots of people do this quicker, but I think definitely at 10 years in of doing it, I suddenly went, oh, I can just perform to any room now. I don't really care. I don't really care how big or small it is. I just walk in and do the same. Like I know I'm fine now. You know, it's just a weird moment where it clicked and it's uh, that thing of just doing something a lot and be, and becoming better at it. And is that is that the way, I mean, <clears throat> is that the, I mean, is that a way f yeah that's an interesting so what did it just happen or is it like the spider-man thing where into the spider verse he says miles you'll just feel it or is it like just like <laughs> yeah i don't know i think i definitely know i definitely suddenly noticed that i i felt more comfortable with everything uh i think i think you do just feel i think i think it helps to be uh seeing a progression in the gigs and, and you're doing and the progression in the, in the material you're doing you know if, if people are actively saying oh i enjoyed that come back and do a longer spot come back and do this club come this time you can headline this time you can do it. you know i think that that really helps because it boosts your confidence makes you feel more comfortable about your material but also i think just generally there comes a point where yeah you just i i, I don't know I, I i just felt it i just suddenly suddenly found myself have many gigs in going all right i'm not I'm not having got any nerves anymore. And then have many more gigs in and going, Oh, I'm not even really thinking about who to talk to in the audience. I just know that's the person. And I just, you know, or, or walking in and feeling the atmosphere. And it's, I think it, I think it is just like, uh, yeah, anything it's sort of almost not, not quite muscle memory, but you just, um, it just becomes what you do and, uh, and mm. you become very comfortable with it. And is, and is it that point where you could perhaps try a lot more newer material, even at pro clubs, than a newer act? Well, because because you're you're confident already that you can get them on side and then throw those bits in and then win them back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you know that you will. For a start, you know you've got all the old material in your head if you need it and you can pull it out if your new stuff doesn't work. But also I think there's a big thing of uh, learning who you are on stage, who you want to be and how... If you're like I, I try and think about how to put this, but I know how to write as me now, and I, and I have done for quite some years. But there was definitely a point where I didn't, and I was having to almost really work harder on jokes. Like, what's my voice in this joke? What is it that I feel about? And like, have I, am I writing this joke 
you know, if I write this joke, is that actually me or is this just a joke that I've thought in my head, but it doesn't work with me. And there comes a point where I realized what my, who I am on stage and I'm quite friendly and I can only get away. There's certain darker stuff that I like writing, but if I've got to perform it, I've got to do it in a certain tone or with a certain point of view. Otherwise the audience won't have it from me. And also what I'm interested in, what I want to talk about on stage and it suddenly clicked. And now I find writing jokes myself much easier because it's just, you know, I'm sort of aware of, of how I'm writing. And, and I think that then means that when you write a new joke, you've got a better idea of how funny it is. You've got a better idea of how to make it into a joke. So you've also got that confidence behind you, which really helps, definitely. And is, is that the process you take when you're writing for other comics? Because that must be quite a, quite a hard thing as well. That try, Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting writing for other comics. I feel I've got to watch them enough. Uh, I, I've got to really know how they... I mean, the only comics I've written for are people, are, are acts that I already know. So I've known them for a little while and I've worked with them a fair bit and I know okay. how their rhythms go and I know how their jokes are. And so when I've written for them, I, I've found it easier to get into their heads. But sometimes I have had to write a joke out almost as though it's for me and then change it for them so i had to change the wording a bit or i mean it's interesting because the way some people write for comics write for the comedians and they write it like word for word here's your joke i tend to have written so it give like bounce off suggestions give callback suggestions so i tend to write ideas and go you've got this joke here this is what you could do with a callback in this kind of way but then that let them put it into their own words um and then i've also written some jokes that are word for word the joke but then once it's in the comedian's hands, they may change it round or just put it into their own words a little bit. So, so it fits them, you know, it's, I think everyone's got different processes and also depends on who you're writing for. They like to work in different ways. Some people very much want ownership over it and they just want someone to bounce off other people very much just go, no, I just need a joke for this subject matter. Can you, can you write it? <laughs> That's it. Hmm. And I think is it, I've spoken to some comics in terms of like their writing style and different things. Like some, they just struggle to come up with ideas, but once they come up with an idea, they can then turn it into something funny. And then there's other comics who come up with like hundreds of ideas and they don't know which one to try out. And it's, they're all over the place. Yeah. It's hard. I think that's the hardest thing. I think the hardest thing is working out. I don't know. Like it's, yeah, it is, is kind of refining what it is you want to say and, and, how to present it. I think sometimes with, uh, I've found with, especially sort of doing hour long shows, I just write all my ideas on like big bits of paper and then I go, oh no, there's loads. I don't know where to begin. And I don't know what to start with. And I don't know how that fits with that. And, you know, and, and it's, it's often then a process of kind of just trying it on stage and trying things in different places. Um, but it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because again, I think you get a lot of people kind of going, how do you get material or, or where is it you get ideas from? It's like, well, everything, everything. There's ideas everywhere and there's there's nothing that has been spoken about too much as long as you talk about it in the way that you see it. You know, there's there are subjects, sure, like, for example, I, I wouldn't talk about it, but like cats and dogs, whatever. There are still interesting ways to talk about the difference between cats and dogs. If you talk about it in your own way, that's about how you think about it and it's personal to you and therefore it will be different. But if you do it in exactly the same way as everyone else has, you know, because you you think that's what people want to hear, it won't be, you know. So it's, I think it's all about how you interpret it. But I think, yeah, I think a big problem can be uh, either scrabbling for ideas, you can have a real writer's block. And if you've got that, I'd almost say that you've just got to 
what are you interested in? What are you? What have you been talking to people about lately? What is it that you spend your time doing? There's comedy in all of that, right? Even if you've been doing nothing and sitting on your ass and just eating crisps or whatever, there'll be comedy in that, right? And there's comedy in, in every conversation you have if you can find it and, and look at all the different ways of where could it have gone to? What's, a, what's the furthest this could have... You know, there's always ways to kind of play with that, I think. And, and on the other hand, I think you've got too many ideas. I mean, that's normally, yeah, my issue. And I just don't even... I think you, you just spend a lot of time refining it and refining it and going on stage and realizing that big chunks of it don't work and scrapping all of those ones. And it's, I think there's, there's no avenue that isn't a lot of work, but you know, anyone that wants to do comedy knows they, they, they often want to do the work that's part of it. Hmm. It's, and it's about, and the, the, the hard bit is finding a way of a system that works for you. And that's, and it, it, that's the thing that like, people are saying you do this or do that, but we're all, I mean, I think if you are coming with your own voice, you're not going to have the same procedures as everyone else. And you've got to find a unique, you can learn from others and add different mm. things to it, like MMA, but you can't be like this style works for you. That style works for you. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's, it's entirely, it's, it's all about that. It's all about knowing how you work and finding that. And there's no, I don't think I've ever met another comedian that's got the same writing, the same way I write, you know, and the same. And there's bits of other people's the way that they might put things together that I might do similar to, but it's, you know, most people seem to have their own kind of methods. And like, if you ever look through, or if you ever able to see people's notebooks or work, or however they work, it's often like completely different to everyone else's. Some people type out every line. Some people are all mad bullet points and spidergrams, and you know, it's whatever fits your brain. I think. I've, I've tried some of the writing things like Sally Holloway's book and some of these other ones, but they just confuse me because there's too many different things. <laughs> and so I just have to go up on stage, try it a bit, and then I try and work it out. But if, like, when I look at some of the other ones, they've got hundred or different techniques. And it's a bit like, I can't, that scares the shit out of me. Yeah, yeah. Well, so like it, none of them might work for you. You might have a totally different one that does work. You kind of just got to do whatever you're comfortable with. I, I think it's... It's weird, is it? Because sometimes it's really useful to look at other writing techniques just because you might go, right, okay, I can kind of, this helps me formulate my own one. But I, I don't know, nothing nothing works better than whatever you're just comfortable, how, however you're happy to kind of note things down and, and get it in your head. Like, you've got to find your own way. I mean, I, I think, I, I don't know if I changed my method of note-taking far differently from, I don't know, how I just used to scribble things when I was a teenager or whatever. Like, I, don't, I don't think I've ever particularly changed just drawing on books and writing doodles and little bullet points. I think it's pretty much the same thing I've had since I was like 12. Um, it's just now that I've got to try and read my own writing, which is a lot harder. Uh, I wish it wasn't so hard. I wish I had better handwriting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, I, I get that comment as well. And they ask, people ask me, even when I'm writing the lineups, they're like, could you write again, please, Marvin? I'm going to write, write it then in English. <laughs> as long as you can understand it, it doesn't matter. No one else needs to. And so with, I mean, with comedy, I mean, one of the hard things is like different parts of the country have different sets of humour. And so many of us comedians are doing podcasts, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So it's a different, but you mean what the podcast can reach everyone around the country or? Well, they're two separate uh, things. I mean, like one of the things that I've always hear, like I've spoken to some comedy promoters and they say that London seems to be a different beast than other comedy, than other parts of the country when doing a comedy show. 
and then like a lot of people get tens and then it's easy to put on paid shows and then i hear in the north like they paid more than double up and down south because i hear that a lot of the times in the north they wanted to pay for comics to come from south to come up north even though the north is isn't it generally economically less well off than the south yeah, I mean, I think I think all of that's changing very sadly because of uh, well, some some ways definitely for for good reasons, in other ways bad reasons. I think COVID has, has caused people to travel less than they were, uh, and I think the cost of travel and everything has affected it. But I, I think in in uh, one of the major differences are there's probably too many comedians in London, and there were definitely too many venues. Uh, there's a lot of um, there was one point when there's just so many like especially open spot and new act venues that it just meant that none of them were particularly pulling in crowds. None of them could afford to pay people, you know, and also they didn't need to pay people because there was always a sort of kind of influx of comics. Whereas in, in the north you have a lot of um, and in the Midlands and in Scotland there's a lot more kind of smaller circuits. Um, which means that those acts get to become really, really good at playing those clubs. Um, and I think there's kind of better levels of progression. Um, and, and like I know in the Northeast now, particularly, there's a sort of uh, a kind of supportive community uh, comedy initiative called Felt Now, where they're doing absolutely brilliant things, where they're trying to make sure that everyone gets paid properly, but also they raise money for community projects. And also they've got proper progression for acts and they have a bit more control over it. I think London's so sort of sprawling and there's no one particular group of clubs that kind of, run things in london that it's it becomes a bit messy and it's still a great place to do comedy but it's very expensive to live in and uh you know and when clubs don't pay so well it's also then trickier to survive and do comedy here so you know i think it's fair play that other places are kind of getting a head start on all of that um but yeah, I don't know if anywhere pays particularly better or worse nowhere really pays very well anymore i think money and comedy sadly has has dropped in the years there's a lot of um stories about how it hasn't really changed since the mid 90s fees in comedy and in some places it's just got worse but of course cost of living everything else has gone up so it's again i think it's very hard for I, I don't know how new acts do it now and i worry about a lot of new acts you know that are going to be forced out of doing comedy simply because it's unaffordable and and or exhausting that you've got to work all day and then gig all night every day that's that's shattering um and uh, I mean, doable for a while. I did it for about four years. And then I don't think I could, I was very lucky. I was very lucky in that I, I not, wasn't even through comedy. I was lucky I got an advert, I got a TV advert that basically uh, paid me to live for several months. And then I just ramped up all my gigs and then they started paying and it kind of rolled over. But that was some years ago. And I just don't know how doable that is anymore unless you're very lucky to, to get a lot of well paid work very quickly. Yeah. It, it's, I hear that it's only like in the big clubs like Top Secret and the Comedy Store and like, they're the only ones that really pay in here and in top secret you get like 80 i don't know this i don't i don't gig in those yet but i mean like in here in a comedy store they pay like 240 or something for yeah well the store and, and the glee uh the the glee you've got big clubs in cardiff and birmingham and nottingham and oxford and glasgow uh i think that's all them and they like they're two of the only ones that have really upped the fees in recent years and barely anywhere else has. So that's a big, I mean, it's, which is brilliant, brilliant for them, but it's really bad that not many other places have. Um, and so it just makes it, it makes it very hard. And, you know, and I think it's, it's one of the reasons I'm sort of working out what to do with my career, because there's lots of times where there's gigs I'd love to do, but I think, you know, I'm a parent and I've got to look after my, my daughter and I've got to do things at home. And it's like, is it worth me traveling for four hours and then do a gig and four hours back and then, 
haven't really earned any money. Is that a, a good use of my day or should I be at home writing a pitch for things, kind of trying to get script writing work, trying to do all these other bits of piece that do pay a lot better? Um, you know, and uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I think it'd be interesting to see how comedy kind of comes out of this. It's very hard as well because a lot of venues right now are having a hard time. Uh, a lot of theatres are having a very hard time and no one's earning money in the arts. So we've hope, you know, hopefully we'll find a way, uh, some, some sort of positive way out of all this. Yeah, that's well, it. That's the thing, isn't it? Sometimes that's where creativity comes from. It's where they say that you can't do this and that. And then because you're forced to find a way of being working your way around it that's where it comes from that's what um, one of the mime artists on the podcast said to me yeah it's true it's, well it is I, I i i definitely agree that i think i should put in the caveat i think that it still doesn't mean they should take all the money away from the arts i always feel like that's sometimes people use that as an excuse like creativity comes from hardship it's like yeah but i don't think that means any like comedians or musicians don't want to starve like i don't think you should make a start i think we should you should still put money into theaters you still need the spaces for people to go and perform and to create and to to do things but i mean there is also the thing i think what the last few years particularly have, have shown which is amazing and like you're doing your podcast but people have started doing more podcasts people have started doing incredible things with tiktok and and twitch and all these other outlets that so i think you know, it's definitely been the last few years in comedy, but it, it was a big sort of boost of people doing it during the pandemic. And I think from that, a lot of acts have learned that they maybe don't need to go down the route of driving all the way to Exeter for no money that they used to, you know, because actually there's a way to build an audience and a way to earn money without having to do these things and kind of also work on your comedy persona, work on your writing and, and reach people with it. And that's, you know, I, I'm, I'm a bit, I, I, I happily did a lot of Zoom gigs. I think since going back to live gigs, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do them anymore. But also, it's amazing that we could do Zoom gigs. It's amazing that comedy kind of works on these platforms. Um, you know, who'd have thought? A few years ago, I'd definitely never thought that it could possibly work. And and it does. I think it does work. Maybe not as well, but it does. Yeah, it, it was it, definitely a lot harder. But it, it was it did work to a degree. It's And it's still going on now, even. And it's... yeah yeah well it also made it accessible to a whole load of people there were people online that were saying you know they've got mobility issues or, uh you know or, or certain gigs don't have um accessibility for them and and finally they could watch live comedy for the first time in years you go that's amazing i hadn't even thought about that and you, you start thinking maybe all the live gigs should have a live stream and as some are anyway but should have a live stream as well so that you can reach yeah and, and how amazing though like there was a gig i did very early on in the pandemic and I think that was more audience members than I'd had in quite a while in one go. It was like, uh, it was just like loads. Absolutely. It was when it was when people were first tuning in and quite excited about it. And um, I couldn't believe how many people were watching, just thinking, God, that's, isn't that funny? Like, I'm just sort of sitting in my pajamas at home <laughs> shouting at you. And I think I'm reaching more people than I have done in the last two months of shows, which is nuts. Yeah, I had a friend of mine from uh, India, uh, Arun Shriam, and he said to me, he offered me to do a spot in uh, Zoom uh, mic in India. And he said there was about 30 or 40 people that I could come and watch me before. That's amazing. But how great, like how hard like to gig in India would be, not an effort, it'd be amazing, but you'd have to sort of the travel and all that, all that kind of thing. And now you're just like, get to perform to a whole different audience. You might have a completely different fan base now. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it. You mentioned it, you've brought a lot of things that I'm very interested in. I mean, you're saying that there's too many um, comics, and I think that's that's got me thinking. Is 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 it perhaps in some instances better to have 
go to places where there isn't as many so you can work with each other and produce different things rather than be if you've got too many comedians fighting for one spot then it then it gets a bit will it get counterproductive and are our comedians who are up north better in some ways because they're getting access to better gigs in different kind of rooms quicker than perhaps they're getting the experience quicker than perhaps ones that are further down south i just don't know i mean i i don't the thing is is i i don't know if there's particularly because i think for um there are so many good gigs in north there's amazing gigs amazing comedians but there's also not as many gigs so you could arguably there was definitely and the thing is everything i've said has got to come with the caveat that i don't know how much the last year and a half i've not gigged in the same way that i used to after covid and i don't know the same sort of amount of gigs but definitely there was a point in london where you could gig every single night of the week uh, if not more if you were a new act you could come to london gig every single night of the week if you're a professional act you could gig quite a few nights of the week and get paid and do new material nights on the other night so you've always got gigs and there are various especially sort of uh, outside of the cities there are parts of north if you live up in like the lake district or something you might you haven't got anywhere near that level of opportunity um you know so so i think that's where it maybe balances out but i mean all of these places are progressing you know like in terms of amount of comedy they have birmingham's got loads more clubs than it used to even like reading's got loads more clubs that used to loads of places are popping up with people realizing they can do stuff more locally i don't think it i, I think if you're prepared to put the work in i don't necessarily think it will make a difference as i said i think the, the main downside for london now is i don't think you can afford to live as a comedian in london as a new comedian um unless you're doing lots of other jobs as well and i think that does just make it immensely harder but yeah i so yeah i don't i don't know if there's much difference other other than that really and with there's a myth that I often hear sometimes. I hear some comics, they, they tell me that they want to focus on producing like shows. Some say they want to do the circuit. Is, is, is that a myth or is that, is that would you say there's, there, are, there are a lot of, lot of comics that decide to do one or the other? Uh, there definitely have been in, in, yeah, in the past. I, I don't know. I sort of, uh, again, it's, it's, it's affording to it. Like I, so, so pers- speaking personally, I ha- I've always had to do both, right? Because if I wanted to do shows, uh, I've, I can't afford to just go up to Edinburgh. I have to work all year and do all the gigs and all the other work as well um, in order to be able to afford to do Edinburgh because Edinburgh is insanely expensive. And if I want to do a solo show or take it anywhere, then I've got to kind of put all the work in in order to be able to, to throw all that money away. Um, so it's I, I think there, there are definitely some people who's you know they do other jobs they do other things and they can focus on just doing a show and there are certain acts as well who perhaps felt like they don't work on the circuit but i, I mean i think i think there was there was a time where the main club gigs only really wanted big stand-up-y stand-ups that did straight uh i sort of say straight stand-up but like just kind of one-liners you know proper just one person in a microphone and they weren't very accepting of character acts of surreal acts of those sorts of things uh those kind of varieties of comedy and I, I think that's changed now i think people are i think people are a lot more open to all types of comedy i think a lot more clubs especially sort of more independent clubs will book a, a very mixed bill of people um so i think the circuit perhaps isn't as kind of weekendy as it used to be um but yeah i, I don't know i i think yeah they, they the whole focus used to be that people would go right i'm just gonna spend my year on a show for the edinburgh fringe and that'll then change my career and again i, I think that, that things being online and stuff now has meant i i don't know if the same 
need to do that is there because there's other ways to break in there's other ways to get big you know um and i think at the moment most people i know are just doing everything they can because they need work and there's not enough work right now hmm. it's a, is is that can i ask a cheeky question here yeah sure is that one of the is how, how did how did it how did like all your experiences in comedy and with everything going on as an act how do you balance that with being a promoter like for comedy club for kids and a podcaster and all these things together like writing for other people uh, being tour support as well yeah uh i don't know honestly don't know i um I don't know. I think I'm, I just go a bit mad. Um, I, think it's, I think it's really hard because also I said I'm a parent as well. And so I've now only got three days a week when my daughter's at nursery. And those are the only three days a week where I can work in the day. Other day, or I can like if, if I'm sort of me and my wife kind of take it in turns, but you have a lot less time. But I think it's, I'm, I'm always excited to do new stuff. I get really bored quite easily. I like constantly having new projects. Um, but there's, there's always time for other things. I think the, you know, I run, I co-run Comedy Club Kids with two others, so that really helps. So, uh, and we kind of split all the admin. I don't do any of the financials; they don't trust me with that, which is absolutely fair. Um, someone else does. So, but you know, so that's kind of a team effort, and I can do that on the side. And I write kids material when I've got gigs coming up, and when I, it pops into my head, I write grown-up material, normal comedy material when I've got gigs for that coming up, and when I get ideas, I'm constantly writing notes, and then. If I've got a script writing job, I've got certain deadlines for that. It's, I don't know. You find ways to balance it, but also it is my full time job. So uh, I kind of prioritize the things that I know pay to keep me alive. And then when I get spare time, which I now have a lot less of ever since becoming a dad, um, I, I try and write all the stuff that I want to write. So at the moment, I'm trying to finish a script that I want to pitch. And that's kind of really been put to the wayside because I had some other paid work. But I'll, I'll get to it. I know I will because I, I want to and I need to sort it out. But yeah, I, I, I really wish I had a good answer for you as to how I I don't have any good. Some people I know have like apps where they organize their diary. I'll spend two hours on this and two hours on this. I have none of that. I just dive in head first and go, what needs to be done today? What, what When's the deadline for that? When do I fit that in? And I've got a little, yeah, I, I just sort of have a little list of all the things I need to do and try and get to them as and when I can. But I, I think, I do think it, it then... Um, effects like i really want to work on my stand-up more um and i and i got a chance to do it last year i was doing a lot of support uh gigs last year and i got to just hone it every night i was doing like 20 to 30 minutes every night on this support thing and 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 for like four or five nights a week and so i was just naturally writing so i was off stage i was on stage then coming off stage going oh i can add to that i can add to that and building and building but then like since that stopped i've just not been writing any stand-up and i really want to write a new show this year but I've not been prioritizing it because I've got other work that comes in. And so I know that I'm now neglecting stand-up. So I've, you, you've just got to make a mental effort to go, right, that's what I need to focus on and I need to ignore all the other stuff. This is exhausting. I probably do too much. I think I'm a workaholic and I've probably got all sorts of issues. So <laughs> I think that might be why. Probably every comic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, but... So what's what's it like being a tour support and like doing those big stages and like so and the answer to that is you just compartmentalize things, don't you? Like one day you do this, one day you do that. Yeah, again, all of that's got easier because like tour support. I mean, I love I love tour support and they're really, I mean, man, they're just the the jammiest gigs because I get to go and 
work for an act that I like, work with an act that I like. I get to perform to an absolutely massive full audience who are there and excited about comedy. And I get to do, I'm, I'm very lucky in that the, the, act, the, the act that I particularly work with, um, you know, uh, is is uh, like, it just tells me I can do what I want and, and oh, I'll do whatever material you want, throw in new stuff and be like, he doesn't care, he's great. And so they're just brilliant gigs. Um, and I think that's, that's very lucky uh, to be able to do that. They also pay really well. So, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I, they're just particularly good gigs and I always get really excited about them. But yeah, if, if I've got like a kid's gig earlier that day and then I'm doing, I should say, it's Frankie Boyle that I support. So I do quite different materials to my kid's gig too. I do quite sort of dark, it's often quite swear, it's very political. If I've got a kid's gig in the day, I'm just like, right, focus on the kid's gig material, get that gig out of the way, focus on the night material. You just kind of deal with it as it comes up. And, you know, I think there's ways to do both. There's a, uh, very early on I had an agent who was like you've got to focus on one or the other you can't just do this and this you have to just focus on one thing and I do know what they meant because they're probably right maybe you could go a lot further if you're just pushing one thing but I I'm not like that I enjoy doing lots of stuff and I find it far more exciting to kind of get all the different sides of me for kids I get to be really silly and stupid and muck about and then for grown-ups I get to go well the world's in a terrible state and we're all gonna die and that I get that gets out that out of my system so you know I like being able to um cover all of it yeah, that's that's a bit like I noticed and one of the performers of your comedy club uh, Ada Camp says that she enjoys doing lots of different things because she gets to learn from different performers mm. that's also it yeah absolutely you're doing you, you can really play like you learn to play any room because you're doing different things every time I mean Ada's amazing because she's does cabaret and and comedy gigs and variety and kids gigs and so she's just she knows how to play all these different rooms. And I think all of that just enhances who you are on stage for, for all of them. You know, there's, um, I think like weirdly, I think doing kids gigs made me more silly with adults, you know, and at the same time doing adult gigs made me so totally unafraid of kids because adults can be worse. You know, like you sort of, everything, you know how to play all the rooms, nothing becomes a, a, an obstacle. So why not kind of be good at all of them? How, how did you manage to set up the comedy club for kids because that's a very intriguing sort of thing i've not seen many sort of comedy clubs that are just focused on that and that's like where do you get the concept and what what led to you deciding to set up with two other people well it's uh i can't take credit for it so basically there was there's a uh he's now a writer but he was a comedian at the time called james campbell and he had this whole thing about it's not fair that children love to laugh but no one does stand-up comedy for them so he set up a whole thing about doing stand-up comedy for kids and he ran the comedy club for kids um he started it and uh very early on i joined to help him along with the two others isabel mel that i work with um and then he didn't like running things really so he he kind of left that to pursue his own writing career and gave and just said you take it over and we've been running it now for i think 15 years which is ridiculous um but it's i mean it's it's simply that is that kids love stand-up kids love laughing they find everything hilarious they're excited about shows they're the best audience you could ask for because they're like they don't sit there with arms crossed go make me laugh they're like it's a show oh my god that's amazing and they race to sit in the front seats because it's so exciting and they want to take part whenever you ask them to cheer they can't wait to cheer you know their enthusiasm is infectious um and like the noise you get from a full audience of kids clapping and weeping and cheering is louder than that of a, like an adult because they're just full of it and um and so you know it's it's just a joy performance because you can really do things that you wouldn't do for adults you can really take things down particularly sort of surreal and silly avenues 
because kids will just go and go, yeah, of course, of course that could happen, you know, and uh, and and totally go along with it. And I think, um, yeah, it allows for exploring a different area of stand up. I think, um, and and there's loads of acts that we've had to do it that just do completely different. It's funny, some some do their adult set, but they make it clean and they. So I always remember uh, Tom Allen now, who's on the telly lots. He he does he did a set for kids, so it was pretty much his adult set. So it was about going to school, and so he just took out the swear words and took out some of the cruder bits, and it worked because it was about going to school. And then you'll have other acts who go, "I've got to do something completely different just for kids," and they write something special for them, and that's also <laughs> brilliant. You know, everyone's got a different angle as to how to do it. And, <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> So it's because kids are like more freeing and they, they don't want to have more fun and they're more enthusiastic. And do you think as we get older, we get more pessimistic and more cynical? Yeah, yeah. Well, also, I think, you you know, you get worried that this person might not make me laugh. What if this person isn't very good? What if they say something I don't agree with? What if they say, you know, there's all these kind of other concerns. Whereas, I mean, kids, I, I don't want to say they're not fierce. Kids are far more intelligent. Everyone gives a great book. But they also, but they also just don't, that none of that crosses their mind. They're sitting, they're going, it's a show. It's going to be funny. Brilliant. Like, that's it. That's like <laughs> the level. Brilliant. You know, and uh, and then, you know, it's, it's up to you. As long as you kind of provide them with the energy and enthusiasm back, they'll very often go along with you. So Yeah. Now you've given me a, a whimsical thought here. What what have been some of the extremely strange and wonderful instances you've had uh, doing shows with comedy club for kids and for adults? Oh wow, um, that's a very good question. Uh, I mean, there's been there's been lots of weird ones with kids gigs because you've got ones where kids just wander onto stage, especially when kids bring their younger brothers or sisters and they just wander on stage and do things a bit uh, sort of bonkers. But I mean, one of the best, and again, I'm, I'm not going to take credit for this because I think some of my favourite ones uh, have been watching other people do it. But there was a, a show we did this quite a few years ago, and it was Adam Hills and Jason Byrne doing a double act for kids. It was an, one of our Edinburgh Fringe shows when you had all these acts up there. So they were just like, yeah, why not? And um, between the two of them, they managed to take the entire audience outside and round the building. And again, all the kids were just so, and then get the whole audience to crawl under all the chairs. And it, just because kids were like, this is the most fun we've ever had. And a grown up is being silly with us. Um, so, you, you know, you get to do a lot of things. I mean, I think we, we often get asked about like the heckles from kids. And, and the problem with heckles from kids is they're never really malicious. They're always just what's in the kid's head and what they want to say to you. And that can totally throw a gig because they'll just blurt something out that you weren't expecting. So still to my favourite this day is when Matt Kirshen, who's now big in the States, but he, he got heckled with just, why is that your face? And just out of nowhere and it's like what how do you how do you respond to that like totally he's brilliant he was totally floored by it and you know there's there's all sorts of ones like that that come out and you go i wasn't prepared i could never have foreseen this and i don't know how to do it. i remember asking a boy i can't remember what it was to do with or where the questioning was but i i he said something like if i was ruler of the world i'd start a war with finland and i was like where's this come from and why and he's like my brother's called finn and i hate him and you go wow okay and it's like that sort of like you can't predict any of that it's so like so bonkers you have to just kind of bounce off it and run with it and i love that like that's exciting 
<laughs> yeah, it's good, isn't it? I know it's really good. We did. I mean, also there, there'd been Matt. There was one where a boy uh, who's now a teenager, be highly embarrassed by his where I think it was Matt Heighton. He ran on stage and tried to just bite him. That was brilliant. You know, so you do get you do get moments where it's um it's completely chaotic, and I and I love that. I think that's yeah, it's great. But but I mean, do you, one of the things I saw in the Apprentice is that Lord Sugar said that. Actually, I'm not going to call him Lord Sugar. Alan Sugar says that <laughs> yeah, um, nice. he shouldn't be Lord. <laughs> he, he says that some of the kids on the Child Apprentice are smarter than the adult ones. Do you feel that in some instances you've had you've seen more madder and weird shit with adults than you have with kids <laughs> during your journey comedy? Yeah, but I mean, the thing with adults is it's often like because they're so wasted or because they're so... Do you know what I mean? It's 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 uncomfortable weirdness with adults. Hmm. So it's it's people heckling in a weird way, or people suddenly like, you know, this is a grim thing to bring up. But I had somebody climb on stage and try and attack me once and stuff, and it, it's like because they didn't like my heckle put down, and they got they got aggressive about it. And there's always sort of, you know, it's is I I found that audiences can be really fun and playful, but they're rarely weird unless they're kind of scary weird if they're adults. Whereas with kids, it'll be they're weird because they're weird and they've got a completely open creative mind, you know? So there's, it's a different level of kind of panic when, when kids are weird, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. I can't think of any particular, uh, like it's, it's hard to sort of think of adult ones that aren't just a bit terrifying. I mean, I, I think all the weirdest adult ones I've had have been deeply uncomfortable. Um, you know, I remember this is a really awkward situation. I feel quite like awful remembering it, but I remember there was a guy in the audience who I just kept, I was hosting, it was this really weird gig. It was like in a cinema in, in Brixton, I think. And this like guy, I was just trying to like get him to start the applause. That's so all I wanted was like, can you start the applause? And he just kept going, no, no. And I'm like, I just want you to like, just start the applause, like just get the applause going around the room. And he was being so negative. And I was like, this isn't really helping the gig. So I just want to like try and conquer him, see if we can get this going. And I was like, you know, just put your hands together. He's like, no, no. And it only turned out later on that he only had one hand, but he didn't tell me. And I couldn't see from where I was that he was a one hand. So of course he didn't want to start the applause, but he never felt it would be useful to show me. Nobody else wanted to let me know. So instead it just became this incredibly tense standoff for no reason. And then later on, when it turned out he only had one hand, I then got like the audience hating me as though I'd been awful. I, was like, I didn't know, no one, like, how do you know these things? You know, this isn't my fault and I would have been sympathetic. But like, there's all these weird, you know, when people act weirdly as an adult, it's always sort of offish and, and, and can be aggressive. And I think that's, that's the difference when you, when you get kids being weird, it's usually just because they're mischievous and fun. And I think there's a, that's nicer. I much prefer that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, and... <clears throat> okay. That, yeah, it would be so. It would, would it would be nice to see adults to be weird, for, for, as you said, with whimsical on stage. But it, yeah, I mean, I think some acts bring that out. Some acts absolutely bring out that in in you know, and you get people like brilliant people like Tape Face Boy or whatever. You get people on stage and get them to be um, you know, uh, completely mad or whatever. And certain act like Jason Burns brilliant for that for telling an audience that they're all you know crazy and gets them all to be completely mad but i think i i tend to do when i'm on stage for adults i tend to just do jokes and tell jokes and if i'm comparing i'll like to have a chat and so a bit more yeah i don't normally encourage people to be 
completely off the wall because I think in my head, I, I, I don't know. I can never control it as well with adults as I can with kids. I think if kids are mad, I know how to control it. When adults are mad, I always I tend to go, oh, wow, this is actually just a bit scary. Well, uh, <laughs> I'll leave this here. <laughs> yeah, some, sometimes I, but also sometimes I get more scared with sometimes dealing with other comics than the audience. <laughs> right, right, sure. Yeah, we're, we're a weird bunch, don't you think? I think comedians are always a weird bunch. For good and bad. Yeah, I think I think so. I think what I think from my side, what I've figured out is the comics that I tend to get on the right one better with are the ones that are easygoing. Because I'm mm. I try and be easygoing, not get too offended by things. Because it's much easier to get on with someone. You don't know what's going through someone's head, so it's better just to be easy. But the ones mm. that are too have too much of an ego to take things too seriously are the ones that I tend to not get on with. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, I think, you, 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 you know, there's a thing, it took me a long time to realize as well, there are some people that are just way more wound up before they go on stage than I than I realized. I think it took me a long time to think, like, there, there are certain acts, I was like, well, you seem like a bit of a dick. And then it's only years later you go, oh, no, you were you were massively nervous from the second you got there, and I had no idea. Like, you know, just or they, offish because they're, they're processing the gig in their head, whereas I'm just happy to have a chat and then walk on stage, and that's a different... You know, we've yeah. all got our kind of different needs. But, but you're right. I think it's, with all of these things, I don't know, it's always easier just being chilled and kind of enjo enjoying it, like enjoying it rather than having it yeah. as a big, this is my career move. This is so important. I would, you know, do this or die. And it's like, oh, just enjoy it. It's really fun. We do a really fun job. Exactly. It's following on from that. What, 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 because I think every comics have had this, every comics witness this, like they get, some really great advice, really great tips, but there's also been some very weird or terrible advice they get. And what, what's been the worst bit of advice you've received? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I've got quite a lot. I mean, there's, there's some that I've, yeah, there's some that I've definitely, I mean, some, the, the worst is what a lot of comedians get where I got it from audience members where they come to me, you know what joke you should say in your set, this one that my uncle told me. And then you're like, this is like racist or this is uh, like weird <laughs> or this isn't actually a joke. It's a sentence or you know, like, I'm never going to put this in my, but I had, I mean, I had my, my old agent gave, gave me advice once of, uh, I've never, I, I don't know how much swearing you can do on your podcast. How, can I do all the swearing or? Yeah. yeah. Right. So he told me never to say cunt in my set and because I'm too friendly, and I was like, that's, I don't think you should ever tell anyone not to use words. If there's a good place to use a word because it suits your act, you should use it. And I've now got several jokes where that is a really appropriate punchline to what I'm talking about. So it's necessary, you know, um, but there's, uh, I think um, that, that sort of thing. I think where people kind of uh, really dictated how they think you should do your set. Um, what was the other thing that I had? I had, I had someone that basically told me I needed to do more impressions and be more like physical. And it was like, this isn't, this is the worst idea you could get. I don't want to suddenly become a weird impressionist comedian. Why would that be better? So I think there's loads of bad advice, but generally like anything that people tell you and you just, I think it's really important to receive criticism and to go, yeah, maybe, maybe it's good to have another view, but there are times people advise stuff to you and you're like, no, that is the opposite of what I want to do. <laughs> that is the, I don't want to become some weird impressionist that tells people's uncle's jokes. Like that is the last thing I want to do in my life. So yeah, probably that. That's that's not one specific piece of advice, I'm afraid. But there's yeah, there's I've had years of years of terrible advice. And ah, uh, so you become an expert at detecting BS. 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. Easily. But again, it's that, <laughs> you know, when you know who you are on stage, you go, yeah, I don't think that's for me. I don't know who you think I am. Like, I don't know what idea of my comedy you've got from that. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, once. This is a piece of advice. I met, did this horrible gig in, um, oh God, I shouldn't probably say, but it was in Dover in a football club. Um, and and it was hor- it was just horrible. Like the audience were really wasted. They were really leery. And, and I sort of survived it. I can't remember who else was on. And I remember one of the guys coming out, this big geezer in a football show, just going, oh, that was really funny. And the only other comedian I like is Jim Davidson. And I was like, oh, no, that's not, that's not a compliment. You've not given me a compliment. You've said the worst thing. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't, why would you, oh, no. Like, yeah, terrible. Uh, it still haunts me that, Jesus Christ. Oh my God! Well, uh, it, it's it's uh, Jim Davidson is on next. Not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God no! And just that horrible thing of going. If you like me and you like him, what have I done? What have I said that I really should never say again? What have I done that I should never ever do again? Like, how do I make myself happy? I, I want you to dislike me. I need to change my material. Yeah. There are th- occasionally things. I mean, I, I occasionally get it here and there where either I've had business people on the podcast, or I've had people that I've chatted to. I've had um, Peter Graham Washington say to me, "What's it called? Right. People need to know what they're getting." That's been some good advice. Um, I've had people. Mm. I had a good quote from another guest yesterday where he said, um, "Jerry Fine said the audience decide what what's funny rather than you." Like you they they decide what you can do that's funny mm. rather than you yeah so this is totally valid it's why i think a lot of this chat at the moment about cancel culture is a bit is, is i mean it's massively nonsense anyway but a lot of it is like the only people that really cancel comedians is an audience if they're not laughing it's because your joke isn't funny and they don't like it and that's that's you know and you haven't worked like you know fair enough if it fails once or twice and then works i they would say the three the three sort of uh try rule don't they you should try everything sort of three times but if audiences aren't laughing at your joke uh, it's you know it's because it doesn't work. That's that like you've been you, you've been cancelled because you're not funny. It's not because you're like if if you're offending people rather than making them laugh, you're not doing your job. It's not like some sort of overwide conspiracy ruled by a certain political class. It's because like we we adapt to our crowds and we you know we're there to entertain. And I always think that's we've got to be aware of that. You know we do have a job. I think. Um, I've dropped loads of stuff because it doesn't work. Like, and I, don't, I don't sort of see myself as being oppressed by the audience because I've had to do it. It's like, oh no, I've just got to learn and I know how to reformat this, you know. But yeah, I think it's, it's loads. Of, I mean, that's the same. I say I've had years of terrible advice. I've had brilliant advice of it as well. You know, I always think it's very good to be told early on that it's not a competition and that we all go at our own pace and that some people get to be comedians incredibly quickly and others take years and years to write and work out who, who they are. That's really important because i think it feels very competitive all the time um this world um but i think probably the best bit of advice which is going to sound really callous again a sort of very uh, very aware that it is not sort of so nice out of context but i remember dying on my hole at a comedy store open spot like really badly dying so bad really bad like 10 minutes of sheer bad death and and coming off stage and an act who is a really lovely act um but i was really miserable and he just looked at me and goes what are you can do kill yourself and i was like no and he goes well there you go then it's all over now isn't it carry on <laughs> yeah oh yeah 
And he was just like, it's like, what's the worst that can happen? You're on stage for minutes. You're on stage for mere minutes. And then if the audience don't like it, they'll probably not remember you. They probably won't, uh, you know, ever look up your name. You know, it's it's fine. You're done. And then you do another one and it's fine. Like it's, it's and, and I think that really put things into perspective. I did have this thing in my head. We were talking about being uptight. I definitely in those early days was like, this is a really important gig. This is my comedy story. Oh my God, it means the world. And he was like, no, book another one. Oh yeah, I can yeah. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, of course, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't matter. It's fine. I don't ah. think that's important. Yeah, should should just add in not to make light of killing yourself because uh, that's it. <laughs> that's it. These <laughs> lines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm, I'm going to tell on you. Right. That's what I'm going to do. You can absolutely do that. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I'll, own, I'll own it. Okay. And what one other sort of question like we've had a great conversation on the podcast like what what do you think um what do you think is the great thing about podcasts and um what would yeah let's just do that what, what would you say is the great thing about podcasts because every single comic loads of comics are running a lot of podcasts now i remember i emailed um al labelle to see if he would oh, yeah. come on the podcast and he said congratulations on your podcast as if to say I've had tons of requests for podcasts, mate. <laughs> that's what that's what you can pick up there. So he's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, they do, but it's um I think the best thing about it and the reason why lots of comics do it is because we can be completely us, like we're unfiltered, you know, like and you write what you want. If you've got an idea, you can just do it on a podcast. There's not the same editorial unless you're doing sort of one for the BBC or you're doing something that's that's kind of, you know, uh from another company and you're being hired to do it if it's your own podcast you can do what you like with it and if you want it to just be conversation brilliant if you want it to be structured jokes you can do it like it just allows you to be you know it's like doing a Edinburgh show every single episode if you want it to be and, and I think that's I think that's why I think it's a particularly exciting kind of area for people who are constantly creative and have got loads of brain things going on that they just need to churn out so that's what I, I love it for I love podcasts for that but I can just every week go what, what am I going to do with this like, and that's exciting yeah it's it's so free and you can have a little chat and it's not as yeah it's not as regulated as other, yeah it's, it's it's sometimes with other things it feels that people say that with podcasting it's probably the most free form media at the moment and mm. the only thing is it may change with joe rogan going to spotify they say that that may change if 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 you know if later on down the line that may change yeah i, I think it, it's a lot like lots of other things it's becoming um celebrity fied you know there's there's so many and and that's sucking up all the audience i definitely noticed from my own podcast that it's harder to get new listeners on board than it was a few years ago because uh now the front pages of all the podcast sites are all the big named ones you know and um who arguably don't need to do a podcast they've already got an audience but you know but at the same time that doesn't you, you can still reach people with it and you still do it's still just really nice to have something in a um in a in a in a, in a format you know that, that people can hear forever like i think that there's a couple of comedians i know who've been gigging for years and years and so many of their old edinburgh shows for example don't exist anywhere anymore they weren't recorded they weren't filmed they weren't you know there's no audio recording or whatever and and that's lost and when you do podcasts and, and in fact when you film shows all these sorts of ways we've got now of keeping what we do um and be able to put them out there and yeah that's brilliant big fan of that it's and and some people have found a way around it like i'm i'm very i'll be honest i, I admire them 
but I also am incredibly jealous of them. Uh, the Have a Word podcast and what they've like Dan Nightingale and, and Adam yeah. Moe have done is incredible. Like they get all these big guests, they're getting thousands and thousands of downloads per episode, and it's really winds up there. And it's they they achieved it all within the space of a year. Fucking incredible. Yeah, well, they've done amazing. It's a fair play to them, like incredible. And I think you know, um, because did they start? I can't remember if they started it just pre pandemic or was it during? I can't remember. But like, I think in a weird way that helped. I mean, not, you know, like how, because they had lots of people that are like able to find it and it really spoke to people that are also in this crappy situation, you know, like it was, it was brilliant. And uh, and I think what a lot of people are looking for, but fair play to them. And, and also that's the thing with everything you do, you can't tell if it's just going to grab or not. Like think, vi- being going viral or whatever is, is so impossible to to like guess you know unless you've got a lot of money to put behind something and advertise the hell out of it make sure people see it it's impossible to know if people are going to suddenly find your video and share it everywhere or not and or it just gets lost and i know it's, it's frustrating or sometimes it's the fun of it isn't it it's, um but that's why i guess you, you know it's worth doing lots of things putting all your stuff out there and seeing what happens seeing what hits like what's it called jeff innocent he's got a big comedy clip about him looking racist and he says because his missus is african he can't do certain things that she can do like chase her down the street because he looks so racist yeah jeff is jeff is very very funny i've seen that clip a lot yeah it's fantastic absolutely fantastic now with everything that i've said here like what is your advice for life that you've learned over the years and what would you like to plug for those that are listening in? Oh man, advice for life. Um, oh God, that's tricky, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of some some good, uh, actually useful advice rather than just sort of list my favourite crisps. Or um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think like I, I've this is quite a, a privileged thing to say and i can't i can't afford to do this but i'm trying to just do stuff i enjoy now i can't really afford to my bank hates me for it but i'm really sick of doing all the stuff i just hate and i don't get any enjoyment out of all the clubs that i really hate doing all the kind of you know writing or applying for work or like auditioning endlessly for adverts that you go i don't want to sell my soul to that company anymore and I, I don't like doing it and now i and and i've I'm probably not earning well, not really earning very well, but I'm I'm getting to write for the things that I want to write because I apply directly to them and go, look, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I like to do. These are the things I want to do and what I want to talk about. And I feel a lot happier as a result. I'm sure that when my daughter grows up and has no inheritance, she will hate me for it. But right now, <laughs> I'm really I, I genuinely think like we do this job because it's like you gotta do comedy because you love comedy, right? And because it's fun. And if you're not enjoying it, then what is the point in doing any of it? Like do something else. Find find stuff you actually like. The last few years have been so rubbish. You may as well get enjoyment out of the things that you do. And there's some useful uh, advice. I hope. I don't know. God knows. Um, and then uh, what was it? Things that I plug. Uh, I do a weekly political comedy podcast called Partly Political Broadcast that's starting up again in a week's time. Um, and uh, we do a comedy club for kids podcast called Radio Nonsense, um, which is just very silly and suitable for all ages. Whereas the Partly Political one is full of swearing, so very different. Um, all that sort of stuff, really. I, I do. If you can spell my name, Google me. I'm doing far too many things. Okay, well, everyone listening back home, his name is Tiernan and his surname is Duyeb. So it's spelled D O U I E B. 
Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I hope you guys have enjoyed it. You know where to follow him. Um, give us a review on Amazon or iTunes. Subscribe so you can join in this scintillating journey. And yeah, if you want to find out about me, you can look up for Instant Laughs. Email me at info at instant-laughs.com. Uh, let me know your thoughts. And one thing, guys, I'll see you guys at the next episode. <laughs>